You're listening to Adoption, Fostering and Tea from the UK's LGBTQ Adoption and Fostering Charity, New Family Social. Find us at newfamilysocial.org.uk. I'm Tor, and this week I'm going to be having a cup of tea with Rosie and Emily and talking about early permanence. Hi, both of you. Hello. Hiya, you're right. Yeah, fine, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. It's a really interesting thing to do um, a podcast about, so I'm looking forward to talking to you about it. Um, could you maybe just introduce yourselves and tell me just a little bit about yourself and some of the, perhaps how you decided that parenthood might be a good thing for the two of you? Yeah, so it's nice to talk to you today. So we spoke about whether we wanted children or not, I think probably on our first date. Um, you know, put wow. it out there. There's, no, there's no point meeting someone if they don't want the same things as you. Yeah, going um, heavy and early, that's excellent. <laughs> there's no point messing about, is there? <laughs> no, no, definitely not. <laughs> so yeah, we, we both established that in the future we both wanted children. So we always knew we were going to head in that direction. Initially, we decided that IVF was the way forward, um, but it wasn't wasn't to be. So we decided to go down the early permanence route and it's been amazing. Gosh, so so you started with a very different route, really. So can you sort of take me right back to then and talk to me a bit about why that route seemed like the right one and I guess how that went for you? Uh, yeah, so I'm um, a few years older than Emily and I, when we met, I'd said how I was, um, I really wanted to carry um, and, you know, and, and sort of have have a baby and although Emily wanted that too for herself she knew as I was older that you know kind of I would take that turn first so to speak if when that time came um and sort of in 2019 after we'd been together a couple of years we started the IVF process um unfortunately uh, it was very intense uh, journey it was uh, sort of three um, three rounds and one frozen um, attempt in the space of a year um, and all of them ended uh, well before pregnancy test. I mean that sounds immensely intense you know going through four rounds in 12 months because my partner and I did um, fertility treatment albeit we did IUI which is obviously a lower tech thing but um it just, it was exhausting and it was relentless. And so to do IVF that many times in that small space of time, it, it sounds utterly relentless, really. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the thing is as well, it was so, it was so expensive. We didn't, um, you know, we didn't get um, any kind of free rounds because we went straight in kind of with IVF. Um, so basically spent all of our funds, um, which made me feel awfully guilty as well, because obviously... Um, you know, I was so, so desperate to carry and it was just, it was so stressful that we felt like after all of that time, you know, we, we just couldn't go through it anymore. Um, and I, I felt that uh, at the time I, I, I wrote a blog, um, which really helped um, me kind of process that grief um, and, and realise that actually, you know, um, if I don't carry it's not the end of the world. And what we really want is to to nurture a, a child and bring them up in a really happy family. And, and, and that was what, you know, we were desperate for in the end, um, which is why in sort of 2020, when we went into the first lockdown, we talked about adoption and, and we felt that, you know, that was, that was the, the right move for us from there. Can I ask um, why you didn't swap and Emily try and become pregnant? Because you sort of said that might be a plan anyway for you. I just wonder what made adoption the second choice instead of further rounds of some sort of fertility treatment. Um, there was a couple of reasons. 
One of them was money. We're going to be honest, it's very expensive. It really is expensive. It's eye-wateringly expensive, isn't it? It really is. But also, I'm just not at, I wasn't at the same place in my career that I am now. And I didn't want to take time off being pregnant. Um, I didn't want to put my body through the fertility treatment. And I was just so happy with the idea of adoption. It just wasn't an issue for me. So it sounds like, yes, yeah, so it sounds like once you'd grieved the fact that the rounds didn't work that you'd done, you were kind of ready to move on to that without that sort of, oh, shall we, shan't we do it another route? Yeah, the focus kind of moved on from the whole excitement of pregnancy to the excitement of being mums. Yes. And it just seemed less important. Yeah, I can I can understand that. I wonder, Rosie, for you, um, so when my partner and I did all of that fertility treatment and we did a lot of times on my partner, so essentially lots and lots of rounds, and we did swap. So in the end, I did become pregnant. But um, one of the things that she described was feeling almost like quite disconnected from her body and quite let down by her body and all of this stuff because you spend your whole life thinking pregnancy is a thing that you will be able to do if you want to. And then suddenly it hasn't worked. And she just described this absolute disconnect and finding it really difficult to sort of work through that in her mind, really. I 100% agree. Um, I was 31 um, had never kind of gone through um, any of this sort of process before. And, and we, we were so um, desperate. Well, I was so desperate really to carry that, that at the time I thought, let's go straight in for IVF, you know, got much more chance. And I haven't got any fertility problems that I know of, obviously, because we hadn't been trying. I'm only 31. Um, you know, my body, you know, everything kind of feels like normal in my body like so I just I know it sounds like you know just never know but like every, kind of everything just I felt like it was going to be just a real breeze and um we were just really excited and we were like oh if it doesn't work the first time it will work the second time it's fine kind of thing you know and and it just and it just kind of went on and on and it was just like failure and then failure and then failure and honestly yeah I completely agree it just I felt completely yeah like like exactly what you say disconnected from my body um yeah I remember one day um Rosie turning around to me and apologizing for her body and that it wasn't working for me and it was just it was just heartbreaking that she was apologizing to me she was going through all this and all the changes in your body that IVF does and then she was apologizing to me I can imagine that that was really, really hard to hear. It's just, it's such a horrible process. And you've got, well, from my own memory, I'll speak for myself, I guess there was this kind of impotent rage in a way that I wanted to be angry with somebody for it. And there's nobody to be angry with. It's just not working. And so, you know, normally you might write a sternly worded letter or ask to speak to the manager or something. And it's just, it's like there's nobody to get mad at. It's just not working. And it's so hard. And then there's always that, what if we just roll the dice one more time? Just what if, just one more. And it's so, so hard as well to sort of say, let's pause this route, you know? Yeah, I mean, Emily was uh, a a lot more um, sensible, I suppose you could say, than me. Uh, At the time, it was like, it didn't work, let's try again. It didn't work, let's try again. And it it was almost like there was this, we'd created this void, um, that wasn't in our relationship before, but once we'd got into our heads that we wanted, you know, this sort of baby, it almost became an obsession for me. Uh, and it's a bit, you know, it's, it is part of my personality a little bit as well. Um, and I, I, I'm a bit like a bullet a gate. And, uh, you know, I was, I was just like, yep, yeah, that's fine. Next time, next time. And yeah, so Emily was um, definitely more level headed, you know, wanted to pause, wanted to kind of. Um, you know take our time and really actually kind of get over each 
each time but for me it was kind of like that once we created that void in our relationship we it was like we were chasing it do you know what I mean um and 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 you're right it it did become it, it was really hard to stop and say no more yeah, I remember that. It's, it's like you create an empty cart almost, you know, and then all you're doing is looking at it. And I mean, honestly, it sounds like you and I would get on great because I felt like my brain had been filled with ants. It was like these blooming thoughts running around day and night, day and night. And it was really hard to switch off to not think about it. I was on every fertility website. I found these calculators that would calculate the exact percentage chance of it working on any one occasion. I mean, it, it was like I'd lost the plot. It was just, it was horrible. I, yeah, really difficult time. That was absolutely me. Tor. <laughs> you and I would get on well or wind each other up immensely. So. Um, and so, so I guess, you know, you were saying that that was sort of during the first lockdown that you started to talk about adoption. Who, who sort of mentioned that and did it kind of go down well with both of you straight away? So we'd mentioned it a long time ago and said, no, let's give IVF a go. And then after Rosie's obsessive year with the IVF, I brought it up. I was like, right, I need to find a way to get this woman stopping thinking about the IVF. Um, so, yeah, so I brought it up and we'd, we'd half-heartedly talked about it before. And then all of a sudden we were chatting about it and we both just looked at each other and went, yeah, that's it. Why why haven't we done this earlier? And <laughs> it's like it just clicked into place. It's like all of a sudden between us, we just had this really strong feeling that this is what we needed to do, even though before it had only ever been like a, you know, a half lighthearted conversation. I mean, it's really nice that you both sort of clicked on it in that way. Did you know back then that early permanence was a thing? And I guess just if people are listening who don't know, um, could you sort of say what early permanence is and then tell me if you sort of knew it was a thing back then? So I'd heard of it. Um, they used to call it foster to adopt. It is essentially when you take a child, usually a very young baby, home with you and you are its foster carer while its birth parents have the chance to maybe um, prove themselves that they're able to keep this child or while care proceedings go through for an adoption order to go in place. There is a risk that comes with it. You could end up having, um, you could end up bringing this child home and loving it. And then, you know, the the parents, they they sort out whatever issues they had and actually the child goes back to live with them. And ultimately that's the best thing for that child because that's their birth family. But it, it, you know, that comes with a risk for yourselves. So it is quite a big decision to make. Yeah. Yeah. We, we realized early on you had to be, you had to be really resilient. Um, and, you know, although we know that early permanence um, is a hundred percent best for the child because they're in a sort of a safe and secure home from, from the start um, for you, there is that risk. There is that worry. Um, and, you know, do you bond with that child and give, that child's everything and all your love knowing that there is that small possibility and it is a very small possibility but there is a possibility that you know that child will then end up you know going back to their um you know their biological families um yeah it's 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 a hard it's a hard one uh so we watched a video um and uh you know it was basically uh, about um sort of early permanence that hadn't worked out for the um adoption family um and the um, you know the child had gone back to biological parents and 
at the end of it, you know, Emily was absolutely distraught. Um, she said to me, you know, can we do this? Is this something that we're strong enough to deal with? Um, and there was a little bump in the road at that point. Um, but we both, uh, we had a little bit of time to kind of process that video and, and, and really think about, is this definitely what we wanted? And then about a week later, we had a conversation and, and said, yes, we still want to go ahead because we felt ultimately that we were doing the right thing for the child and, um, you know, any potential child that, you know, that came out, you know, came our way, I suppose. Yeah, I can see that because obviously it means that the child has moved less, doesn't it? That, you know, they're placed with those people who are both foster carers and potentially the adopters for the same child. So absolutely. So let's fast forward a little bit then. So when you, I guess you went through all of the assessment for that. Was there anything that came up that made you think you might not be approved or any parts of the assessment that were particularly difficult? Yeah, it went pretty smoothly. Um, We didn't have any problems. We're both in good professions. We didn't have any problems with any of the checks on home life or finances or anything like that. But there was a little bit of a hiccup with Rose's medical. It's not something that we even occurred to us would be an issue. And then we had to have some checks on a medical, which was a bit surprising. They're very picky. Yeah, and it was, um, so we got through sort of everything we needed to do, all the homeworks, you know, that, that we, you know, you have to do quite a lot of, of sort of, uh, it's a bit of a rigorous process, I suppose, um, which I always thought, well, uh, Emily and I always thought was um, strange because we, um, you know, you think, you know, as parents, you don't have all these checks, but when you're going through the adoption process, it's a crazy process of checks. Um, but one of the things was um, that I have a, a sort of a rare sort of muscle condition that doesn't cause, um, it's not degenerative, um, it's just something I live with and just causes fatigue. They had a bit of a pause before we went to stage two, just to speak to my doctor and check that like, you know, I would be okay to, to, to basically look after a child. And yeah, that was fine in the end. Yeah, it was apart from, do you remember they made us change our plan so that I took the adoption leave and not you? Oh yeah. Oh really? That's interesting because of that condition. Yeah. So Rosie had planned to take the adoption leave. Like I said, I was very career orientated um, and then they said, oh, well, one way around this to stop it from becoming an issue in the future is for, for you, Emily, to take the adoption leave, which I thought, oh, I, I don't know. But then we were mid-COVID and I thought, oh, that's brilliant. I need to get away from this hospital. <laughs> so it actually worked out really well. Yeah, I'd been in my career for like a, from 21, I've been teaching. And um, and so I was kind of almost ready for a little bit of a break. Um, <laughs> you know, it's quite a full on um, sort of career. And uh, so, yeah, so I was I was all up for for taking the um the leave and then we talked about joint leave but yeah they, they wouldn't let us know either so in the end uh, um emily took the the leave and actually i think it worked out better yeah it did i got yeah. a year off <laughs> yeah you did <laughs> well i got dinner on the table when i got oh, home yeah. from work so perfect absolutely perfect <laughs> Yeah, it actually worked out perfectly. And I remember our social worker, she asked our parents um, what they thought because they they knew that we wanted to do the leave the other way around. And both sets of parents agreed that it should be me taking a year <laughs> off. Um, I'm slightly more domesticated. Yes, for sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, so in the end, it actually worked out quite well. Yeah. I mean, that's really nice that it did. And uh, But again, it must have felt quite odd to have something 
you know, again, the sort of bodily thing, you know, having through been through all that fertility treatment, the two of you and the, just the journey that that was. And then yet another thing that doesn't feel like it's going to be a problem and suddenly is, and it can just be really odd, I think. Yeah. So, I mean, if you don't, if you don't laugh about it, you, you cry, wouldn't you? Um, yeah. yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a yeah. difficult one for me, but you know what? I think I just have to go through life with a positive attitude and just, you know, um, keep optimistic. Um, and that's kind of the way to get to get through these things. Cause I do, you know, I do think that there's been quite a few bumps, um, with regards to obviously, yeah, my body that has, has been pretty, pretty rubbish, but you know what? They're you know the the sun shining, and uh, you know we, you know we've got lovely family around us, and we just have to keep thinking positive about things. And really, we've been so lucky with yeah. this whole process. So no, I, I get that completely. I have uh, multiple sclerosis, and it just became such a massive issue in the assessment. It was just felt like we we're just being questioned on it endlessly, and it's it's really a fairly low level issue for me. You know, occasional problems. But I mean, really occasional and, uh, you know, a few more now than there were. But but nonetheless, it just felt I almost felt fraudulent going on about it so much, you know, and yet up it came and up it came and up it came. You know, there's loads of stuff about what if I used a wheelchair? What if I used a wheelchair? I was thinking, but I don't. I mean, you know, what if lots of things? But, you know, it was it was just really, really odd. Um, so, no, I, I, I do get that. Sounds like me and you've got quite a lot in common. <laughs> Um, so um so tell me about so obviously you know you went through the approval process and got approved and then I guess you're at the family finding stage so can you talk to me about that and how it was and you know I guess you know you're on the edge of your seat all the time you know so talk me through that time yeah so it was actually before we got approved um we received a text from our social worker saying please can I talk to you about a baby and I was in the conservatory and I'm usually really quite chilled out. And all of a sudden, Rosie heard this screaming from the conservatory and came through saying, what on earth is the problem? And I said, I think we've got a baby. Wow. And she was like, excuse me. And then um, our social worker got an incredibly hyperactive couple on the phone to her. <laughs> and then a few weeks later, we had a chat with our child social worker over Teams. Yeah, he'd gone into a little foster placement short term and it all escalated very quickly. And within six weeks, we were bringing him home. Wow, that's immensely fast. Yeah, it was, it was super exciting. Interestingly, though, as well, um, uh, myself and Emily, sort of when we talked about sort of genders and things like that because you know when you go through the adoption process you can have a preference um and and uh and Emily had sort of said oh you know I think I think I'd probably prefer to have a little girl and I'd gone oh I, I definitely prefer to have a little boy so we'd we'd always said all along well you know I guess it's whatever whatever arrives it's going to be a bit of a surprise because we don't have a preference because we both have you know different kind of preferences if that makes sense so um when she said on the phone you know you know of course a little boy oh I was just absolutely I was so excited but Emily was the same it was like almost like yeah no that's that's definitely the you know that just yeah. super exciting oh I god I, I just remember that day like it was yesterday yeah my family have never had little girl little boys they're a family of little girls um for generations and I just rung up my mum and said mum we're gonna have a son and she just didn't really say anything <laughs> <laughs> 
And just so immensely quick, how long was the process for you from beginning to end? So we, um, I think we sort of made contact in um, beginning of April to the adoption agency. Yeah. And then it, so in May, we had like a sort of a, an, an evening, an information evening. And then we uh, met him in at the end of February and brought him home at the beginning of March. Gosh, that's immensely fast, isn't it? Yeah, super fast. It's, it's like it's like a pregnancy, isn't it? Yeah, really? nine to ten months. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's right. absolutely incredible. Um, and so tell me about the day that you brought him home. Well, actually, interestingly, it was it was the day we met him um, was was a strange one for us because. I suppose when you when you have a baby, you sort of the baby arrives and, and you look at this baby in your arms and you think, you know, that instant love. And we were both kind of anticipating this. And, you know, he was sort of seven weeks old and he arrived in our arms. And, you know, we were both really excited and having loads of photos and things. And at the end of the day, Emily sort of said to me, do you love him? And I was like, oh, it's, it's a bit strange, really. I don't I don't really know how I feel it's it's like this stranger that's suddenly like ours and it it, it it just felt a little bit odd and it just took a little bit longer to bond than I expected and I actually think it's really important that you talk about that um, yes. because it's not like I always say be kind to yourself and don't expect too much and you know if it doesn't happen straight away it will come with time and for sure, um, he is just the most gorgeous little boy. And I'm totally and utterly head over heels in love with him. He's just gorgeous. But it did just take a little bit longer than I expected. And it didn't happen instantly. Yeah. Going back to when we met him, it was it was a very strange experience because it was actually lockdown. You weren't allowed in people's houses. You weren't, you were still, you know, none of the pubs were open. None of the cafes were open. You could go into a supermarket with a face mask on. And then we were expected to turn up at a stranger's house. There's a full family there watching you. The social worker is sat on the sofa and you get handed your child. But there's all these strangers watching you and you've not even been in anyone else's house for the past six months because the country's been in lockdown. Yeah, I think that is really artificial. And I think that um, that's such a slow bonding thing. I, I remember that. And I think we all kind of dream of the fairy tale where you sort of see them and you fall in love and it's now and it's it's there and it's you know rainbows and glitter and and then if it just doesn't happen straight away it feels just much more empty and I remember those moments of like the social worker and the foster carers and they're all sort of looking at you it's a really really it's like going on a first date except with an absolute panel of people watching you it's the weirdest weirdest thing yeah, absolutely. And I was I was upset. Uh, you know, I felt I had a little bit of the adoption blues, I think, for the first week or so. And that was just because I was just I had this expectation and it, it didn't happen straight away. And, and I think that's very normal. And I think it's important that we we talk about it and that we make it OK. But, uh, you know, we, we the foster family um, that, that he, sort of he's placed with for for, for six weeks were absolutely amazing and we still in touch with we're still in touch with them now we still see them uh, you know we want him um, and them to be part of his life because they're part of his story um, and I think that's really important so we've you know kept in contact with with them as well. Yeah I think that's really nice as well if you're able to and if it kind of works out I, I think that's a really nice connection to still have because you know it's it's been one of the homes that your child's had so I think that's really lovely. So so then I guess 
so you obviously met in that slightly artificial thing. Were you able to do a kind of normal version of intros or was it so changed by COVID? It was okay. So by law, you could still enter the houses because it was for this reason, but we couldn't take him out anywhere. And it was February, so it was incredibly cold. Um, So whereas you would usually have a few hours where, you know, on day three or four, you can take them maybe to a cafe to have a little coffee for an hour. I mean, this is a newborn baby. It was more an introduction to us for us than for him. He doesn't know who's looking after him at that point, really, does he? But we couldn't. So we went on a little walk to co-op once, didn't we? Yeah, we did. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> and we got to take him for his first vaccines. And, and that was that was as exciting as it got. Um, we drove him home one day. Yeah. Absolutely terrified because we had this little baby in the car. And then so had precious. to drive him all the way back. It was very surreal. It was very intense. It was also very intense for the foster family because they had these two strangers in their house all day, every day. And we couldn't even take him out and about to give them a little bit of time. Yeah, it was quite an intense process. It was it was a week and um, they were quite a way away, just over an hour away. And I was driving. Um, and we would go, you know, over there and then we'd drive home and we'd do that every day. And then on the sort of fifth or sixth day, we'd go over, we'd pick him up, we'd bring him back, we'd drop him off. Um, and we'd just basically get to know his like little routines and just to make sure that we were sort of, um, you know, f- sort of getting the advice from the the foster um, family as well, because obviously we're first, first time parents, we wanted to, you know, get all of the advice we possibly could to make sure that we were giving him the best. So yeah. Yeah, it was amazing. We had like our own personal little nanny, didn't we? Yeah, it was the lovely. foster mum was absolutely brilliant. She taught us so much. That's awesome. Yeah, I know. It was we were so lucky. <laughs> and so when you finally got him home, then you know, you talked earlier about that kind of reticence about becoming about kind of daring to fall in love, daring to overinvest or whatever. How did you manage that emotional conflict? Our situation was slightly different. We were lucky in that we knew that this child was going to be staying with us but definitely the bonding still takes so much time and since I've spoken to parents that actually gave birth they've admitted that it can often be the same for them but I just as Rosie said earlier I don't think it's something people talk about everyone just believes that you fall in love with this child but actually it can be quite difficult when they're screaming every hour in the night and you're absolutely exhausted yeah, I think people paint that that picture, don't they? Um, you know, they, they don't want to admit sometimes that, you know, things have taken longer. But I actually think that the more people talk about it, um, you know, the, the more normal, the, you know, more normal it becomes. So you'd obviously got a bit of that kind of, you know, slight blues going on a little bit and, and just learning to bond over more time, I guess. All that time, you know, you're looking after this baby you're doing sleepless nights and all that kind of stuff how long did it take before um things were put in place where you knew that this was definitely permanent and where this became a placement for adoption rather than a fostering placement and so on so it's very unusual in early permanence but we did know that this child would be staying with us and we knew that there was going to be an adoption order in place so we didn't actually have that that worry Right. So so just right from the start, there was never any suggestion that the baby could go back. No. And that's really rare. Um, I, a lot of the social workers have said that, you know, it's a rare case now. Um, they haven't sort of known a case that's been so easy, um, which was really good for us because we could just, you know, 
that that worry was 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 completely eliminated and I guess did that make that any easier do you think in terms of being able to sort of begin I guess family life with some level of confidence absolutely like I can't I can't even imagine how we would have felt um because you can't help but fall in love with a little child you're looking after it's impossible to not fall in love with them is it and B is so easy to love. He is just the most amazing little lad. Um, <laughs> he's got so much personality. And weirdly, um, you know, when whenever we go and sort of go out and with friends, etc., or, or even meet strangers, people say he looks so much like the both of you. And he also has like some of our mannerisms and personality traits. He's like a, a little mini us, isn't he? Yes. Um, and, you know, you would never believe that actually he wasn't biologically our son. And I, I genuinely think it's like the nature-nurture debate. Um, and, and actually, f- for us, you know, we've nurtured him for this length of time and he's he's literally almost morphed into us both. That's really interesting, isn't it? Given, you know, that, as you say, he's not biologically yours and yet people perceive, you know, the re- resemblance and stuff like that. Yeah, I had a lady um, stop me in the library once and she said, it's it's a very strange thing to say, but I just want to say, I've never seen a child look so much like their mother. <laughs> and I smiled and said, thank you. Oh. <laughs> weirdly, um, for me, a lot of people have sort of said that he's very, he's very like Emily, but, um, you know, I was out having, having coffee and sort of, there was a lot of, parents with with their young children and um we got chatting and you know one of them said he looks so much like you and again I was like oh thanks very much yeah cheers <laughs> sort of thing and then just kind of carried on it's just it's really nice but it doesn't matter ultimately but it it, it, it does feel like um it, you know he's just just yeah become become one of become just, us, doesn't yeah it? it just feels like a little bit of magic that social worker just got the right baby at the right time for all of us and it, yeah. it just seems a little bit magic doesn't it it was meant to be absolutely that's really lovely especially after the journey that you had and sort of how difficult that was and so on that it kind of feels that you've arrived in the place that you should have arrived at absolutely no regrets like we always often say actually that like you know if one of us had carried we wouldn't have such a um a good child a good child <laughs> yeah <it's- laughs> take the personality traits of, of both of us and we you know sort of say oh, oh no actually like he's just absolutely perfect we are very lucky oh that's really delightful I think that's absolutely lovely so there'll be people listening to this who are thinking about whether early permanence might be the right route for them and possibly people who are currently doing fertility treatment and struggling and thinking could adoption be the right route for them so I wonder if you've got any advice for people who are in those thought processes and in those situations? So for me, with early permanence, um, I would say that you are more resilient than you think um, and that it is so much better for the child um, to be in that safe and stable home from 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 early on and that I would really encourage, um, you know, people to, to, to try early permanence. Yeah, 100%. And with regards to adoption, I'm trying to persuade anyone and everyone that's, you know, sort of, that chats to me about 
you know, any fertility troubles because I felt after my journey and my blog that a lot of people reach out to me, which is amazing. And, you know, we we talk about, you know, their fertility struggles, but also I say, look, you know, this is the most amazing thing to do, um, you know, and I would 100% recommend it to anyone. So, I, you know, I have been trying to kind of speak to people and say, you know, go through, go through the adoption route because it's amazing. And in terms of adoption um, down a non-early permanence route, we have made the most incredible friends during this process. And all of them have adopted children that were slightly older and already had an adoption order in place. And they have just had the most, they've got the most wonderful bond with their children They've all had different hiccups, like everybody does, and there's all they've all had their own issues, but none of them regret it. They've all had a brilliant time. Yeah, yeah, we have made some amazing friends. We've got a like, little network going on, which has been really good as well. That's really, really lovely. Well, listen, thank you so much, both of you, for talking to me. Thank you for having thank us. You. You're welcome, anytime. I'd like to thank my guests today, Rosie and Emily. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review and share it with your friends. Follow us on Twitter at LGBT Adopt Foster and on Facebook search New Family Social or one word. Visit our website at newfamilysocial.org.uk. Adoption, Fostering and Tea is produced by New Family Social. The presenter was me, Tor Doherty, with music from Matt Doherty. The producer was John Jenkins. We'll be back next time with more guests and more tea.